So let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, as we look at it this evening, that you will help us to understand what this psalm has to say about our relationship with you in prayer. And help us to live it out in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as uh, Mark said, this is the first in a series uh, on prayer from the Psalms. And uh, I think the title is officially Trusting God in Prayer. And I'm slightly going to shift the focus a little to being still before God in prayer because that seems to be where the focus of the psalm is. But the two are very, very closely related. And so uh, I hope I went stray too far from uh, the, the topic. Um, but before going in, let me just say a little about the psalms and about prayer. The psalms are just so wonderful because they, uh, we know that they're the prayer book of the Old Testament. But what they do is that they give us a window into the, the devotion of some of these great people of the Old Testament, some of whom we know like David, others who uh, are not known to us. And when we read them, we realize these men had a closeness to God, even in Old Testament times, which I think many of us envy and, and seek. And that's certainly true in the case of this psalm, which we're going to look at in a moment. And the psalms are full of deep and rich theology. They've much to uh, help us with, but they're also very human because the psalmists, they, they speak from the heart about their situations and they express things very often better than we can express ourselves. And that's why they're so rich and helpful in our devotion. And I think, too, they often provide us with a, a model for how to pray because they begin by focusing on God and who he is uh, before getting into, very often, some kind of uh, prayer, intercession, asking, sometimes a lament. But the Psalms never end in the depths of despair. They always come back to focusing on God and calling us, as this Psalm does, to put our hope in him. So I hope as you look at the Psalms, you uh, are enriched uh, in your own life uh, by reading them. And when it comes to prayer, uh, I want to just say a few general things as we uh, get in. But prayer is just such a wonderful gift. And I think it involves both intercession, asking, but also communion or fellowship with God. And the Bible is very clear that God wants us to share our concerns with him. Um, Philippians 4.6, Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but let your requests be known unto God with thanksgiving in your hearts. He calls us to bring our requests to him. Now, it's right to criticize people for whom intercession is the only part of prayer, but intercession is a key element of prayer because God loves us and wants us to bring those things to him. But prayer, as this psalm is teaching us, is more than just intercession. It's also communion. It's fellowship uh, with God, being still before God, as we'll come to in a moment. And I want to just broaden a little and ask a little, say a little bit about, well, how does prayer actually work? And people often ask this, and sometimes not understanding that uh, can be a barrier to, to prayer. People sometimes say, well, if God knows anyway, if God's sovereign, why bother 
to pray. And I'm going to just say a few things very, very briefly. I think they're on the, on, uh, coming up on, on the screen. There is, the Bible's clear that there are some things that God is going to do anyway, regardless of what we do. Uh, because God is sovereign and he's working out his purposes. But it's also clear that there are some things that God has chosen to do in response to our prayers. That statement, he's chosen to do them in response to our prayers. Sometimes God will prompt us to pray and then he answers the prayer that he's prompted us to pray. But there are other times when there are things that God has genuinely left open dependent upon our prayers. It's his choice which those things are. And I find that balance in thinking about prayer very helpful because when we're praying, we're praying in the context of the sovereignty of God, knowing that he has his plans, he has his purposes, he's working them out. But we also know that our prayer makes a difference. And I, I find that perspective helpful. And when we come to prayer... Prayer is not simply about what God does it's all, uh, in, in the world. It's also about what God does in us, as we know uh, when, we, when we pray. We know that, uh, okay, the summary is on there. We know that there are some things uh, that God will answer in his, his own way. But we know that um, when we're um, praying, um, sometimes he will... Uh, give us the assurance that he's going to answer the prayer in the way uh, which we do. Sometimes, uh, as we're praying, we find that he will give us the answer to what we're praying about. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were asked to preach at Keswick, uh, to speak at Keswick for four minutes. Uh, an hour is no problem. Four minutes is a nightmare. Uh, and I was worried about, what are we going to say in those four minutes? And as I was praying, suddenly, one, two, three, four, five, six points came. Uh, we got through four of them in four minutes. Uh, but, but that's what God does. Sometimes as we're praying, he gives us the answer to the thing uh, that we're praying about. Sometimes, as we know, he helps us to see something, what we're praying about, in a different way. Because maybe we have the wrong perspective. Or maybe uh, he wants us to pray differently about it. Sometimes, as we know, he will tell us to do something about the thing that we're praying about. We may be praying about an individual who has a need, uh, emotional, spiritual, physical need, and God will say, talk to them, visit them, give something to them. And that's part of the way in which God works in us when we're praying. But often, when we're praying... Uh, God simply wants to bring us to a point, as uh, the topic of the sermon is, of trust in him about the issue we're praying about and stillness before him in prayer. And that leads us into what this psalm is talking about this evening. As I said, it's the shortest among the psalms, but it's very profound because it's got a, at the heart of it, it has a very deep um, image of intimate communion with God. And it tells us something about one of the obstacles to that. And I will take us through these and then broaden a little and talk about some other obstacles to communion with God and how we can overcome them. But the first thing is the image. And that's in particularly in verse 2. I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child 
is my soul within me. The image is of just resting in God's presence like a weaned child. And I think that choice of image is, is important um, because he could have spoken about maybe a child sucking at its mother's breast. But when you think about that, we, we know how fretful young children can be when they're trying to feed. Um, and that image would have also pre presented the image of coming to God to get something from him. Whereas this image of a weaned child, he's not coming to the mother to get something. He's coming to the mother just to be with the mother, to enjoy the mother's presence, just to simply enjoy loving and being loved with the mother. And the psalmist is using that as an image of what our relationship with God in prayer should be. That as, as we come, uh, like the child that chooses uh, to come to the mother, just enjoying the love, enjoying the presence of God, enjoying the fact that he knows us and cares for us, and in, enjoying his blessing, the, the feeling of his presence in our hearts. So that, I think, is the central image that this psalm is presenting to us. And it's an image, uh, not only of what the psalmist was looking for, but what I hope each of us are seeking in our relationship with God. Now, having said that, I want to make three qualifications or three little cautions before I move on. The, the first thing is that this is an aspect of prayer and a very important aspect of prayer but it's not the highest form of prayer some people would say that that stillness before god when you when you're still before god that's the highest form of prayer i respect that but i, I actually i'm not sure that's true god is a god who's revealed himself through the bible in words uh, and when, when we commune with God most, I think it's when we're thinking the thoughts of God after him, understanding his word and rejoicing in it and applying it to our lives. God has communicated to us verbally and we communicate with God verbally. But nonetheless, this, what's being talked about here, is an important aspect of prayer and an often neglected aspect of prayer. The second little caution I want to mention is that uh, this sense of intimacy with God is uh, not something that we can turn on like you turn on a tap, as, as it were. It's given sovereignly by God in his grace. I say this because some people, they teach that if you want to just experience God, you just have to open your heart and, and it will just happen. And it's not like that. Experience of God is given sovereignly by his grace. Uh, I've seen people working up in a frenzy in meetings, trying to somehow connect with God and feel his presence. And sometimes God uh, blesses them. Sometimes, though, they get terribly disillusioned because they've sought an experience of God and it hasn't happened. And sometimes they're made to feel the fault is within them uh, because uh, it, it hasn't happened. God sometimes graciously gives us that special sense of his presence, and it's wonderful when he does, but it's not something automatic that we can just demand or turn on like a tap. What we see here, it's very interesting. He says, I have stilled and quieted my soul. 
When I first looked at this, I wanted to say, Lord, still and quiet my soul. But that's not what the psalm says. The psalm says, I have stilled and quieted my soul. It's what we prepare our hearts, and then God, he does with us what we will in our prayer. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Our part is to be open. We can't demand of God uh, a a feeling or experience of him. And a third little caution I'll just say is that the... This stillness is not just, we should experience it, not just in prayer, it should be part of our life more generally. I was thinking of how Jesus uh, in the boat, you know, he's able to sleep through the storm because in his heart he has that stillness, that contentment, that trust in God. Chaos around him, disciples in panic, and Jesus, he's fine. And so it's something more than just uh, what we seek in prayer, we seek in the whole of our lives. Well, those things said, let's, let's delve into the first part of the psalm. And I'm going to take a long time on point one and then make a whole number of other points, well, a few other points uh, very, more briefly as we, as we go on. But I want to look at it from the angle of dealing with the obstacles to resting and being still in the Lord's presence. And the first thing I want to say is that we need to give up, the, as the psalmist says here, we need to give up the desire to understand everything and sometimes just trust in God instead. And we we see that in in verse 1. The psalmist is recognizing and he recognizes and he's dealt with a potential obstacle to being still before God and that is this desire to understand everything. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful to me. And he recognizes actually the root of that problem is the problem of pride. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. Um, Most of us, we want to understand everything, and, and we're proud that we understand everything. But he's realized that that desire to understand has become a can be a barrier can be a barrier in. Uh, his relationship with God and at times he just needs to trust God even though he doesn't understand maybe there was some specific difficulty he was going through perhaps there was something in the life of Israel because he he talks in verse 3 oh Israel put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore we we don't know but what we do uh, we what we do know is that the desire to understand and the de- and the desire to control that often lies behind that uh, can be a barrier in our relationship with God now, I need to be careful about this because God has given us inquiring minds. And uh, that's part of what it means to be in the image of God. And God has revealed his truth to us in his word. And part of our love for God is understanding what he said in his word and uh, inquiring deep into it when we need to and living by it. And that is part of what we should be doing as Christians. Um, this desire to understand that he's talking about here is different uh, because there are things that God has clearly revealed in his word and we need to understand those but there are some things that he's not revealed I'll come to in a moment uh, which we need to just simply trust often personal issues in our life 
And if I could just give one little testimony about trying to understand. Some years ago, I was very troubled with one particular aspect of theology because and it was more practical than, than theoretical. And I was hearing one side and hearing the other and being tossed between them. And I remember reading in Daniel chapter 9, verse 12, since the time that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself be before God, your words were heard. And that was a great encouragement to me and should be to all of us. So there are things in Scripture that are difficult to understand, but if God has given something in Scripture, he wants us to understand it, and he will give us understanding of his revealed word if we seek it. It was some years later that I understood, but I'm grateful to God for answering that prayer. But we know at the same time, as Deuteronomy 29 says, there are secret things that belong to the Lord. And uh, these are very often not in terms of eternal truths, but in terms of how God is at work in any particular situation. Uh, often the more personal things. We want to know why. What is God going to do? And these are the things that I think the psalmist is talking about here. He's not saying we shouldn't seek to use all our mental abilities to understand God's revealed truth. No, we should do that. But there are some things in terms of uh, the way God is working in our lives and in the world we don't understand. And he's saying he's not going to allow that to become a barrier uh, to his relationship with God. And I think probably the, pro the issue of suffering is probably the most difficult among those, those things. Uh, we know that the Bible gives some general teaching about suffering, which is very helpful. We know that nothing lies outside God's control. We know that God can dramatically intervene to deal with suffering. But we know that he often doesn't. And we know that when he doesn't, it's because he has a higher purpose, his glory and our good. We know that God is always with us in suffering. And these are great assurances to us. But although we can understand often the general uh, pattern of the, the Bible's teaching on suffering, it's much more difficult to understand why me, why these people that I love. And at such times, the Lord may show us, but very often he just calls us to trust. I think we see this very much in the story of Job. We, we know how, uh, this, well, uh, Job's suffering was intense, but Job understood, even though he was a sinner, he hadn't done anything to deserve the extent of the suffering that he was going through. And he wants to know why. Why, God, am I suffering like this? Now, we know, because we're told at the beginning of the story, that there's something going on in heaven. The devil has said, uh, Job is only worshipping you, God, uh, because of the things you give him. If you take those away, he will curse you. And we know that there is that bigger story uh, uh, going on uh, there. But Job is completely unaware of that. And all the way through, Job is asking the question, why? And in the end, when God reveals himself to him, he doesn't tell him why. He simply says, look at me, who I am. I'm the one, I, I govern creation. 
trust me that I also govern the moral part of the universe. He just says, I'm not going to give you an answer, just trust me. And I believe that's very much true for ourselves today. There are clear truths of scripture we know and live by. But there are often things in our personal lives, particularly in this area of suffering, we don't know why. We want to understand. And we feel when we understand, we can control it. But the psalmist realized in his own situation, whatever he was going through, that that was a barrier to his being still before God. And so he simply says he's not going to concern those things, uh, himself with those things. I have stilled and quietened my soul uh, like a weaned child with its mother. And and I think there is a call to us to do the same. I I think of another story, um, Helen Rosevear. Many of you know a missionary in the Belgium Congo. Uh, She died uh, at the end of last last year. But she, she was a missionary doctor, a single woman who had kept herself pure for God uh, and waiting for the husband if God chose to give her one. And she was serving God faithfully in holiness. And then one night the unthinkable happened. There was civil war in the Congo and uh, soldiers, uh, rebel soldiers, came in to the hospital where they were and Helen Rosevear was raped each night for eight days, I think, and some other people. And when she was going through this, she cried out to God and said, Why, Lord, have you allowed this? I've been keeping myself pure for you and my future husband, and this has happened. Why? And she said, and I heard this uh, on the tape of one of the things, she said she felt the Lord saying, Do you trust me enough to believe that I've allowed this for a purpose. And Helen said, no, no, no. How could you allow something like this for a purpose? And she struggled and battled, but she kept feeling that God was saying that to her. Do you believe and trust me enough? Uh, Do you trust me enough to believe that I've allowed this for a purpose? And eventually she had peace. In her mind, she could not accept. And yet in her heart... She just knew somehow God was at work. Now, if you know her story, later in life, she came to see God's purposes in that. There's not time to go into that tonight. But sometimes that's just what we're called to do. We want to understand. We want answers. And God simply says, do you trust me enough to believe I've allowed it uh, for a reason? It's a very challenging story. Uh, but I think a very powerful one because uh, it's a true life story. So that's the first, what I would call, obstacle to stillness before God is when we're seeking to understand everything and sometimes we can't. Sometimes God chooses not to explain. He simply says, trust My heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful to me, but I've stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now time is going and I want to skip 
something. But uh, another, if I can broaden out from the psalm for a moment and think about some other obstacles, the psalm here is teaching us that there can be obstacles to stillness before God. And I want to think about some of the other obstacles which we see elsewhere and we experience in our own lives. And, well, maybe I'll mention briefly the, the, the one I was going to say. Sometimes we understand things, but we find them hard to accept. And um, sometimes it might be what the Bible teaches about something, whether it's predestination or hell or the, the killing of the Canaanites, which Neil helpfully preached on recently. And that, that can become a, a problem in our lives and a barrier. A good friend of ours, a missionary in Nigeria, he, he got troubled over one of these issues uh, to the extent that it meant that he gave up being a missionary. He chose uh, to leave the field. And there are times with our understanding that, well, we, we reach a conflict between what we think and what Scripture says. I think many of us, if we're honest, we, we struggle sometimes over some issues. And we have a choice there about what we're going to do. What is the authority in our life? Is it our reason, our thinking, or scripture? And some people would say it's intellectual suicide to submit to uh, the Bible. And I would say it's spiritual suicide not to submit to the Bible because uh, our human reason is fallen. Our thinking is crooked and twisted. And what we need to do in a situation like that where we feel, look, I'm not sure I, I think I understand this, but I'm not sure I like it. We have to say that can become a barrier in our stillness before God. And we have to say, I choose, Lord, to submit to what you say in your word rather than what my thinking. And I trust, Lord, that you'll help my thinking to come in line with your word. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say there because it's very important uh, in some people's walk with the Lord that they deal uh, with this issue of what is the authority in their life. Is it their understanding or is it scripture? Well, moving on. I think uh, another thing that sometimes is a barrier in our stillness before God, in our coming quiet before God, is fear of the Lord himself. We know with our minds that he's loving. We know with our minds that he cares for us, that he wants the best for us. But in our hearts, we sometimes think, feel differently. We feel he's not interested in us. He doesn't care about us or our circumstances. He wouldn't want to spend time with us. And as you know, many of us, we often project some of the difficult experiences maybe we've had with parents or teachers or other people onto God himself and think that God uh, uh, thinks of us and wants, relates to us like that. So we're part of the stilling of our souls before the Lord is focusing on who he is, focusing on what he's done for us in Christ, focusing on the fact that he loves us, that he cares for us, he wants what is best uh, for us, that he wants a relationship so, with us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. Very closely related to that, another barrier 
sometimes is that we feel unworthy to enter into God's presence. We're conscious of our own sin and weakness, whether it's past sin or present sin. And we need to remind ourselves constantly that our access to God is not based on who we are, but on what Christ has done for us. That it is, we could never be good enough to enter God's presence because however good we are, we've all fallen in, in what we've said, we've done wrong things in what we say, uh, what we think, uh, even if we've not done anything outward. And yet we have the right to enter God's presence because of Christ. Romans 5 verse 1, Since therefore we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have access into his grace in which we stand. And we have the right to enter God's presence. If we're conscious of past or present sin, that will be a barrier to us coming and being still and quiet before God unless we focus on Christ. Now obviously God wants us to come with repentant and contrite hearts but he'll never turn away anybody who is seeking help with anything in their life whether past or present that needs dealing with. And indeed I think stillness before God is part of the remedy for sin. The more we gain our satisfaction in Christ, the less we will seek it in some of these other things of the world that seem to draw people's attentions. Fifthly, briefly, anxiety is another thing that robs us of stillness before God. And, uh, you know, frequently when, when I want to just be still before God, a whole variety of things come into my mind and you start thinking about this and thinking about that. I, I'm a Martha, not a Mary, uh, in terms of the gospel uh, terms. But what I want to say is that these things are not necessarily distractions. They can be, but very often when, if, we, if we're trying to be still before God and, and something that's concerning us comes into our mind, well, what should we do about it? push it away no we give it to God and usually when we try to be still what's really going on under the surface in our lives comes to the surface and we become aware of some of the issues in our hearts our minds the things that are concerning to us and we need to hand them over to God and what I find is it's a bit like a vending machine. You hand one over to God and another one comes into its place. And you can go on and on and on. Uh, but we need to do that. Anxiety, things we're concerned about, we need to hand them over to God. You know that wonderful verse uh, in um, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 7. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties uh, on him because he cares for you. And so that's, anxiety can be another barrier, but we need to deal with our anxieties by offering them to the Lord. That uh, will help us have this stillness uh, before God. Something else uh, that can be a barrier to stillness before God is just bitterness and resentment. And the Lord 
if we want to be still before God, we need to lay aside hurts and bitterness and resentment in our lives. Now, sometimes when I seek to be still before God, from nowhere you get a memory of something somebody said and somebody did. And and you think, where's this coming from? And yet it's coming from within. You need to deal with it uh, before God. Uh, These things disrupt uh, our quietness of soul. And so part of being still and quiet before God is is dealing with those things, recognizing that they're they're festering away below the surface. If they've come to the surface, they need to be dealt with. But it's not easy. Obviously, the best way to deal with them is to pray, as Jesus says, for those uh, people. Uh, Pray for those who persecute you and and to bless them. But... uh, I know it's not easy. I remember one particular occasion when somebody said something uh, which was not only unkind, but it misrepresented me in front of other people, and I couldn't do anything about it, and I was hot. And I I was teaching, uh, it was before I went to Nigeria, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I went home, and I was thinking all the things you do about, oh, she says that again, I'm going to say this and that. And I thought, no, you shouldn't be thinking like this. It's not right. It's not Christian. And, And then a couple of seconds later... Something else comes in about what you're going to say and do. And actually, this went on. I I was battling with it until the early hours of the morning. I I knew I I, I shouldn't be feeling like that. I knew it wasn't good. I didn't want to to be feeling like that, and yet it was there. Well, the Lord gave me grace, and something I've learned to do on other occasions, uh, about 3.30 in the morning, as it was, that prayer of the Pharisee, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, came into my mind. And I just repeated that over again. Instead of focusing on the other person who had been bad, I just asked for Lord's mercy on me for my response to what she had said. But I, I, I've had to do that more than once. But I'm mentioning this because holding on to resentment, holding on to bitterness, holding on to hurts can be a a real barrier to being still before God. When we become aware of them, we need to deal with them. We need to lay them to one side. And the last point uh, I'll I'll make, although there are others I could have mentioned, is just busyness. And I I think we're all aware of this. We we have busy lives in Nigeria. Uh, Your lives are equally busy, but just in different ways, I I think, sometimes. But the, the, the busyness of life can be a real barrier to being still before God. And sometimes I think it's just a matter of getting the right time to be still before God. For me, I have my quiet time in the morning, but that's not a good time always to be still because I'm thinking about the day ahead and I usually want to start doing some of the things that I need to do. And I try, though I don't do this as often as I should, in in the evenings just to take time not only to reflect on the day, but just to enjoy that stillness uh, before God that the psalmist is talking about here. And so I think we should, all of us, try to seek what is the right time when I can do this, given my schedule. It may even be morning, it may be evening, it may be some other time in the day. But don't let busyness be a barrier to uh, stillness and quietude uh, before God. There are other things, but those were the the things uh, that I 
thought about uh, or felt led to mention today. So what, as we draw to a close, what, what's this psalm saying? In a way, first of all, there's a reminder here of an aspect of prayer, a very important aspect of prayer, an often neglected aspect of prayer, and that is simply resting in God's presence, being still before God. As I said earlier, it's not the only aspect of prayer, but it is an important aspect of it. But secondly, there is an invitation here, I think, for us to seek and to develop this more as an invitation from God in, in our prayer to develop a deeper intimacy uh, and a deeper experience of him uh, through prayer. And thirdly, I think there is a challenge to us to think about what are there in our lives that are barriers to that stillness and quietude before God. The psalmist here has mentioned one of them, his desire to understand and his pride, which lies at the root of that. And I've mentioned some other things that can become barriers. Let's think about the things that can be barriers in our lives to that stillness. For me, it's been a very helpful and important reminder. We go back on Wednesday, we go back to a very busy time. And certainly for myself, I'm going to make sure that I find time, more time, to be still before God, as well as interceding and all the other things we seek to do in prayer. And by God's grace, I'll do that. I trust by God's grace that you'll be able to find time to do so as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder that you have given us, that you desire intimacy with us, and you desire us to be still in your presence. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to respond to the invitation to do that and to deal with things in our lives that block us from enjoying your presence as we should. Lord, Help us to enter more deeply into the experience of the psalmist here, of his still and quieted soul. Help us, O Lord, to rest in your presence like a weaned child. This is our prayer for ourselves and each other. In Jesus' name, amen.